people don't have all the information when they're making comments in the media about whether we should or shouldn't have traded Joey last year. But as a club, um, absolutely no regrets. And, you know, we, you've got to stand for something in this game. And we, we, we stand by our decision. Hi, everyone. My name's Julian Trantino and I'm from the Don's Digital team. While we wait for footy to return, we're pleased to bring you a podcast series with Adrian Dodoro, the club's GM of Liston Recruiting. Leading the club's recruiting for 22 years, Adrian has a wealth of draft and trade stories that he'll be sharing exclusively on the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. It's great to be joined again by Adrian Dodoro. Adrian, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, Jules. How are you, mate? Going well. Well, we've got a big episode lined up here, some questions from members about the past, present and future, some some pretty hard-hitting ones in there, I think, uh, so <laughs> better make sure you, you're on your guard for those, but um, before we get looking to that... Looking forward to it, looking forward to it. <laughs> absolutely, before we get to that, uh, since we last caught up, there's there's been some significant AFL announcements around the season restart, a return to training, which we saw the players uh, get back to the club this week. How's everything looking from a a draft perspective for you, uh, for your team, and also the trade period that will be coming up later in the year? Yeah, um, interesting time, Jules. Obviously, the boys are back training at the moment, which is great news, and we'll see some live action in possibly three weeks. So the AFL uh, have mandated that 25 staff members go back to work right now. So at the club, we allocated, obviously, our coaching staff, fitness, medical teams, um, and some key admin people. Uh, So my team aren't part of that 25. Uh, so pretty much still on stand down for, for this period. And hopefully we'll be back at work as soon as we see some games come come back on board, hopefully in a few weeks time. So um, yeah, it's an interesting time, but we're still uh, focused on uh, the job at hand. So how are you going about it at the moment in, in regards to looking at potential draftees and players to trade in as well? Um, look, it is interesting, obviously, with no games and current data to go off. We're going off a lot of uh, the old data from last year uh, and a lot of conversations, obviously, with player agents and what have you. But uh, from a trade perspective, it'd be just really, really good to to see players play. Not having a VFL or a SANFL or Waffle competition in the traditional sense would be interesting. So to see all the bottom end listed players not playing makes it really interesting. Um so we'll have to, you know, find ways and means of, of tracking plays, whether that's by sending people out to what, go watch training at other AFL clubs. Uh, so there's a whole host of things we have to work through, but predominantly we need to understand what the rules will be and we're waiting for the AFL to uh, inform us what's happening. Well, let's hope for some clarity soon in that regard. Yep. Well, that's probably enough from me for now. We'll get stuck into these questions from the members in this one is a, I guess, a topical one. It comes from Jessica, a six-year member in Northcote. In hindsight, should we have traded Joe Danaher? Oh, look, absolutely not. Um, you know, it's amazing the vitriol at the moment in the media about Joey, but we as a club stand by our decision uh, to retain Joey. He is an incredibly talented player. Uh, no one's got a crystal ball in this game. If, if someone could have pre- predicted there was going to be a coronavirus, then would have been nice for them to have told us. But, um, you know, we, we back uh, our medical team, our fitness staff. Um, we're, we're taking the long game with Joey. We understand that, you know, he's still a young player and he's got a lot of good years ahead of him. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're quietly optimistic that 
you know, it might take a little bit longer, but we're going to get him on the park and hopefully he'll be an Essendon player for many years to come. But absolutely no regret whatsoever. Um, obviously, there's been discussions in the meet at the moment, at the present time about, you know, what a trade would have looked like. But I can assure all the Essendon supporters that we looked at all the possible scenarios and what we would have got. And we felt that we weren't going to get anywhere near the compensation for Joe. Uh, obviously, had Joe been playing his best footy. Um, and even to the point where I was looking today on who we would have picked had we have received pick nine, which is the pick that everyone's talking about. I can guarantee you that it probably would have still been Harry Jones because we targeted him and we had him as a first-round draft selection. So, you know, people don't have all the information uh, when they're making comments in the media about whether we should or shouldn't have traded Joey last year. But as a club, um, absolutely no regrets. And, you know, we you've got to stand for something in this game and we, we, we stand by our decision. What have you made of the way Joe's returned to the club? Obviously, he, he did admit it was a bit of a tough time when the trade didn't go through, but have you have you been impressed with his approach to rehab and the way he's really got around his teammates since he got back? Absolutely, and everybody at Essendon loves Joe Danaher. He's a tremendous person. Um, his attitude has been faultless. He's going about his um, rehabilitation program with great diligence. Um, it's frustrating for everyone at the club at this point in time. Uh, we understand that, but we certainly, uh, you know, we're not surrendering at this point. We, you know, obviously we'd like to see him out there playing his best footy. Uh, and look, we're really confident that at some stage this year we'll see it. And, um, and, and we, you know, as I said, we'll play the long game with him because he's a very, very valuable player. You don't get 202-centimetre key position All-Australian forwards with an extroverted personality in uh, in your forward line, they don't they don't grow on trees, and uh, and that's the reason why we value him. A question here from Ian, twenty six year member from Bright. Our recent midfield draftees are of smaller stature. Do we have a plan to seek a big body midfielder? And was Aiden Bonner considered in last year's trade period? Yeah, good question. Obviously, um, you know, Dave Myers retired last year. He's that bigger bodied mid. Uh, obviously, Job a couple of years before, that was probably the best of our big-bodied mids. Um, yeah, look, I fully understand the question, and um, it's probably an area that we would like to bolster. We we ended up getting Tommy Cutler in from Brisbane last year, who plays as an outside winger, but he's a he's a midfielder at 6'2", 6'3". Um, obviously, we're seeing Jake Stringer go into the midfield, and I think he'll play more minutes there as his uh, career develops. We bought Mitch Hibbert in from Williamstown, who's a six foot three, big bodied mid this year as well. So, and obviously Dyson Heppel, our, our skipper's a, a big bodied inside mid. Um, you know, it's it's an important part of the game. And uh, look, if, if one was to become available, we'd certainly look at, uh, you know, a bigger bodied midfield player going forward. Uh, as for Aiden Bonner, yeah, we certainly looked at Aiden. We just didn't think he was a right fit for us. Uh, um, and we thought that maybe a player like Mitch Hibbert in the rookie draft would give us as much, if not possibly more, which uh, remains to be seen, obviously. But um, it'd be interesting now with lists being discussed and whether they get reduced or not and what the ramifications are on lists and how they look in the in the future. We we may have a game of you know six-foot-three hybrids because the lists are a lot smaller in the future. I certainly hope that doesn't happen, but it's something that may happen. I guess this next question is somewhat related to that one. It comes from Len, who's a member for over 20 years. He's from Belrose in New South Wales. And Len asks, why don't the Bombers play Jaden Laverde on the ball? He has great hands, is composed, 
and has the potential to be the answer to the search for a big-bodied midfielder. Yeah, and look, the other midfield that I, I didn't mention was uh, Kyle Langford, who's a who's we actually are really wrapped the way Kyle's coming along at the moment. So again, he's six three, six four, and and hopefully will develop into a, a very good mid. As far as Jaden's concerned, we haven't seen a lot of Jaden in the midfield. It's certainly something that I'm sure that uh, Wusher and Truck can think about uh, this year, given the unique circumstances that we've got. Um, he started the year off uh, in terrific form in the preseason comp and in round one as a forward. He actually can play and was an All Australian player as a defender as well. So we we, we tend to forget that. Um, but look, you know, um, never say never. He may get that opportunity. I know he'd love to play in the midfield, um, and he may get his chance. But that's probably a question for the coaches more than myself. Um, personally, I, I think he makes a, a terrific hit-up forward for us. You also mentioned Mason Redman in last week's episode. Yep. As you, you have the view for him to go into the midfield. Is that something that you, you feel strongly about and you really could see happening as well? Yeah, absolutely. And um, even Connor McKenna is another player that I've always harboured ambitions of getting him around the footy, playing him on a wing and playing him inside. And uh, definitely with Mason. Mason was recruited with that in mind. And we seem to have developed, you know, some really good halfback flankers at the moment. You know, Ridley's coming on for us. Aaron Francis is coming on. Obviously, Sardi. You got Zerk Thatcher, Hurls Hooker can play back. Paddy Ambrose is is ready to go for for round two this year. So we've got plenty of options down back, and it, and it may present us with the opportunity to to play a Redman in the midfield at times, or Connor McKenna can go up and play as well and give us some more options through there. So I understand that everyone sees the the big bodied mid as a a need for the club, but there probably is one or two on our list that could fill that void anyway. And Mason Redman, of course, he's part of a talented half-back line. There was one that got away who went to Richmond, Bashar Hooley. And there's a question here from Lee, who's a member since the early 2000s from Launceston. What was the story behind Bashar Hooley leaving? I was on his bandwagon, annoyed that he left, and didn't see him turning into a halfback. It's also hard to believe James Hurd couldn't talk him into staying. Good question, and it's one that I'd you know uh, like to set the record straight because there's been recent press that uh, we delisted uh, and let Basher go. Well, in a way, that may be right, but he walked out on us at the time, and we pleaded for him to stay. Um, it was at the time that Matthew Knights uh, was sacked as coach and then Hurdy came on, but he made up his mind that he was going to go to Richmond. And certainly James tried extremely hard to get him to change his mind to try and stay at Essendon. It's one of the bigger disappointments in my career, to be honest, because we'd taken Basher and we believed in him, and um, but he felt he wasn't getting a fair go at the time. Um, he, was, he felt that uh, he wasn't getting selected when he should have been selected and and felt that the grass was green at Richmond. And good luck to him. He's, he's been he's become a fabulous player, another All Australian player, um, and and a Premiership hero at Richmond. And and you know you couldn't get a nicer person than Basher. But um, we certainly didn't let him go. We wanted to, to keep him. The reason why there was no trade done was because at the time Richmond offered us a pick that we couldn't use in the draft. So strategically, we assessed the best thing for us to do was if he was going to leave to put him in the draft because they had committed to taking him in the pre-season draft. There was a, uh, whoever was first had already committed to a player and that would have given us from memory, it was going to give us the first live pick in the pre-season draft by doing that. And we picked up Michael Hibbard who went on to be an all Australian player. So you could basically say we let Basher go off the list and bought 
Michael Hibbard onto the list at the time. So that's how we rationalised it, and that was the reason why there wasn't a trade with Richmond, um, because they simply didn't offer us something that we could use in the draft. So we wanted to force their hand and um, make sure they had to take him in the pre-season draft, which, which then gave us uh, the opportunity to get uh, Michael Hibbert. So, you know, it was a disappointing time and hope, and look, we you know, wish him all the best in the future and hopefully one day we can sit down and, and have a chat to him and hopefully he looks back at his days at Essen as, uh, as something that helped him with his career. This next one comes from Hans, who's a 21-year member from Monterna South. Who was the biggest draftee to get away from you and why did you lose out? Oh, geez, how many do you want to? There are so many. You see, what happens each year, you go into a draft and you have, you know, high hopes and expectations and then, you know, you've got to put your, you know, your players in order and, you know, you don't know what clubs are going to do before you. And there's been many instances over the years where a player has gone just before that pick or, you know, we've rolled the dice at a certain selection and we thought, you know, we're taking this player uh, knowing that we wanted another player of, of similar calibre and we'll say, you know, hopefully we can get him with our next pick. And you're banking that he'll get through to that next pick and bang, the pick before he's gone. There's so many of those. But look, in recent times, like I mentioned last week Clayton Oliver was one that we really set our sights on getting and we missed out uh, on getting him. Uh, you know, going back, you know, my, my staff mentioned Marcus Bont and Pally all the time because I was in love with Marcus coming through and you could see he was just going to be a fabulous, you know, you talk about big body mid, he's, a, he's an absolute Rolls Royce. And it was a year that we had draft sanctions and, uh, we couldn't trade down to get him, and that was one that really disappointed me. But in that draft, we ended up getting, you know, Zach Merritt and Orazio Fantasia, which uh, you know ended up being, uh, you know, really good for the club. Look, there's so many over the years that you you look back on, um, but like Sheed used to always say, you can't get them all. You know, the one thing about recruiting is that at the end of the draft, every recruiter will looks back and and reflects on their lot and what they missed out on. And you have a lot of sleepless nights um, hoping that you've made the right decision. But uh, there are probably two that come to hand. Well, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Who is This question's from Darcy. He's a member all the way from London. Who is your favourite recruit of all time, trade or draft? Oh, geez. It's like saying which is your favourite child. I think, you know, there's so many of them um, over the years, obviously, when you've been doing this job as long as what I have um, I, I, the, the, look, I don't want to give him a big head because he has got a big head, but um, the one that stands out is Adam Ramanaskis for me. Um, we have a very special relationship even to this day. Um, he's just a wonderful person. You know, Joe, Joe and Lucy's parents are fantastic people. The day he walked in the door, you could tell he had something about him and um, his first season at the club, he, was, uh, he won our best and fairest in 99 in the reserves and the following year was runner-up in the uh, Rising Star in a premiership team. And I've got no doubt that the year uh, Rama got diagnosed, he was uh, heading towards being one of the elite players in the competition. He was absolutely on fire. He was transitioning from a half-back flanker, back-pocket play into an elite midfielder. Um, and he was untouchable in those first three or four rounds of that particular year. And then came the shocking news. And just the way that that young man handled that adversity in his life and showed the courage that he did. Um, uh, it was a hugely emotional time at our football club for everybody. Um, and, you know, he goes down as, you know, 
again, I don't want to give him a big head because he knows how much I love him, but he's probably one. But there's so many, you know. You you look at, you know, current guy, current players, and all the guys on the list, like, you know, how could you not love a guy like Dyson Heppel and, you know, Zach Merritt and Michael Hurley and Tommy Bell Chambers? And, you know, the list goes on and on. They're all fabulous people. Um, you know, there's probably the odd disappointment in the career, but most people that bring you bring into your football club, you become attached to because it's just like having a child and you want to see them grow into people. And that's the most fulfilling thing for any recruiter, any club, is to see, you know, a scrawny 18-year-old kid walk in the door and then to, to leave with three or four houses and, and to have made something of his life. Um, and, and that's the gratifying thing about being a recruiter. Back in one of our early episodes, you mentioned uh, Dean Rioli being one of your favourite recruits of all time. He's actually your your first recruit. And this this question, I guess, relates somewhat to that. It's from James, a 15-year member from Thornbury. We seem to have a positive culture that attracts and retains Aboriginal players. Is that something that gives us an edge in the trade period and the draft? And if so, can you give us an example? Oh, obviously, we're extremely proud of our um, Aboriginal heritage at the footy club and the, the players that have made an amazing contribution to the game. You know, every day when you walk into the club and you see that statue of Michael Long, it just reminds you of just what a great Essendon person he is and a great Australian and what he's done for for his own people in this country has been absolutely amazing. And, and we're um, associated with that. And Kevin Sheedy obviously deserves so much credit for everything he's done and the opportunities that he's presented um, and that's the one thing that I would really implore the AFL to look at at the moment is, you know, like I hope that we don't cut lists and cut the opportunities. A lot of the Indigenous players that have made AFL careers have come off rookie lists, whether it's, you know, uh, Aaron Davey, Dean Rioli, uh, and a host of other boys that have, you know, come on as late draft selections. Um, and I think that, you know, it'd be, you know like, and, and none more so last year than Marlon Pickett. You know, what a great story that was at 28 years of age be picked up in a mid-season draft, late in a draft. Now, had you have you know cut list sizes down last year, we, he possibly wouldn't have been the story story of the year. So that's obviously something. But as far as our club is concerned, we've obviously got really strong ties um, in NT, particularly with Tiwi. They're our NGA affiliate up there. And um, we've done an amazing amount of work. Darren Harris and his team do an amazing amount of work up at the NT. And hopefully we can see some boys transition onto um, the AFL uh, seen with us uh, in the years to come, but it's certainly something that we're extremely proud of. We've had some terrific Indigenous players come through our club. Davey, Lovett Murray, Dean Rioli in recent years, Paddy Ryder, Courtney Dempsey, um, just, you know, fabulous talent. You know, we've got a young guy there called Irving Mosquito who's got the best smile in Australia, and, you know, I hope that he, you know, fulfils his potential because he could, you know, he could light up the competition um, because he's got so much talent. So, um yeah, uh, we 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 um, extremely proud of what we're what we do and what we want to do in the future um, with Aboriginal talent. Um, you know, that's something that we're extremely proud of. And Dreamtime is an absolute, you know, um, franchise game on on the calendar for our footy club. It's just an amazing night, something that we celebrate, and something that'll only get bigger. You mentioned Irving Mosquito. I just had a question there about him. Um, how did he get to the club? We know he was sort of always on Hawthorne's radar and um, somehow you snuck in and took him with pick 38. How did that uh, all come about? Well, it came about because, um, you know, when you're picking, you know, late-ish in the draft, you know, mid to late-ish, you're looking for opportunities to find, you know, talented players all the way through. Don't get me wrong, but 
the absolute talent is early in drafts, and then you then you're thinking, well, this boy might be a little bit underexposed, but he probably has the attributes to be very very special, and hopefully in time he may be as good as a first round draft pick. That's how we looked at it. If you look at him in isolation and and look at his just say you looked at his highlights tape, you'd see that when you edit someone like him, he just does extraordinary things. You know, he, you know, his hand hand to foot is is electric. You know, he's got you know he's got eyes in the back of his head. He just sees the game. He's tough. He's quick. He's got a lot of exciting attributes. He's going to be one of those players that if he gets it right, and there's a big if. You know, that obviously you don't want to be put, you know putting. Um, you know, Mandel's on guys' heads right now and saying they're this and that. But if he gets it right in the next few years, he's got the ability to turn a game on its head very, very quickly. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very, very special talent. Um, what Moz has got to do, he's got to, you know, you know, get his head down and become a really professional player, which he's working extremely hard to do. We saw in the Marsh Community Series that, you know, in a brief glimpse there against West Coast, um, you know, he lit it up. So, you know, um, obviously there'll be opportunities this year and let's hope that as we head into round two that he can start putting his hand up for a game this year. Let's take it back a bit. This one comes from Richard, a two-year member in West Meadows. What convinced you to take Scott Gumbleton at pick number two in the 2006 draft and why didn't things work out with him? Oh, this is a dagger in the heart. This is a dagger in the heart. Um, So you finally get a low pick in the draft. It was pick two. Couple of things that stand out for that particular year was that the AFL and the eve of that draft um, eliminated the priority pick selection. So you know, years before there was you know Franklin Roughhead, Thomas Pendlebury, um, Tambling and uh, Delidio, I think at Richmond, and you saw that clubs were getting a, a huge advantage by having double dips early in the draft. But the year that we finished uh, second bottom on the ladder, the AFL decided to get rid of that pick, which is another story in itself. But um, Bryce Gibbs went one, and for us, Scott Gumbleton could have easily have gone one. And if you ask any recruiter at the time, you know he was should have been an absolutely outstanding AFL player. You got to look at it like this: he's two hundred centimeters. He does a sixteen beat, which is absolutely freakish. He marked the ball at its highest point. He went back with a flight of the ball with courage. Um, as I said, could run all day, and he was the prototype key position forward. You know, he had everything that Nick Rewalt had at the same age. Let's not make you know, any mistake about it. That's why he went pick two. And that's why he probably broke a lot of our hearts at Essendon. Because when we uh, we, we got him at the club, we were so excited to get him. And a terrific person as well. Um, fantastic family. Um, you know, he did his medical screening and he passed it with flying colours. But then early on the piece, he had chronic hamstring problems when he he ripped his hamstring really badly. In fact, it was one night against uh, Gold Coast or Brisbane um, at the Gold Coast in a, in a pre-season game, um, going back with a flight of the ball with absolute courage, and he, he, he hurt his hamstring really badly. From there, he developed some pretty severe back problems, which required two operations, and that was basically the end of his career. Now... Again, it's like with Joey. If no one has crystal balls in these situations, um, you pick them on their merits. And he was picked to every day of the week. Um, and um, yeah, that's how the cookie crumbles. And yeah, it's one that, you know, you get a bit every night thinking, you know, what could have been with him? Because uh, you know, he should have been an absolute star of the competition. There's also a lot of talk that Essendon would take 
Joel Selwood at pick two in that draft, but what swayed you towards Gumbleton? Um, well, going into that draft, as I said, the, the rules changed around the compensation picks. And if we would have ended up with two and four, I can assure you that, and, you can, and Sheeds will back this up, we would have taken um, Joel Selwood as well. What, the, what happened at the time was, was that Joel had a knee problem and there were question marks around that and there were medical concerns around the durability. And as luck would have it, he's gone on to have an absolutely amazing durable career and unfortunately, Scotty didn't. This next question is from Stephen, a 27-year member from Gowan Bray. He asks, everything is easier and makes sense in hindsight. But I'm keen to understand the thought process behind not selecting Silver Rioli at pick six in the 2007 National Draft. David Myers was highly credentialed that year and a worthy selection at pick six, but I was surprised at the time that Rioli was overlooked given his eye-catching performances in the under-18 National Championships and existing link to Essendon. Okay, um, it's probably the one question that gets asked quite a bit. Uh, we went to that draft and from a list management perspective, the club wanted a big-bodied midfielder. So that was the priority for us. Now, David Myers at that time was one of the highest or highly credentialed players in that draft. He was playing senior football for Perth Football Club. So he's a bloke at you know, 17 years of age playing senior football in the Waffle. And I recall, I can re- clearly recall one day that Merv Kane and I went to watch him play because we had, you know, obviously heading towards the latter part of the year to make a decision about who we were looking at. And he played, uh, as I said, it was Perth versus Swan Districts, at Swan Districts. In the first quarter, he had 16 possessions in the first quarter. Um, he was a two-time All-Australian player. I think he won the, the Sheehan medal for the best player at the Carnival at the under-17 level. You know, he was highly de- um, credentialed, um, highly touted, um, seen as a potential leader of our club, and that was the reason why we took David at that pick. Um, Cyril was considered, and he was considered uh, extremely seriously. What happened with Cyril was in his top age year, he was injured, and he, he played one very good game at Victoria Park. I think he hit seven or eight goals for NT when he was playing on one leg and he was isolated. Other than that, he had a, a fairly quiet year due to injury. He actually did his AIS training with us. Heard he ran through him, broke his collarbone, and he was obviously living with Dean Rowley at the time. So we we certainly knew him. We we actually we thought he was going to get through to our second pick, if truth be known. And congratulations to Hawthorne. They they picked him. But the other reason why we never selected him was because one, there was an absolutely crucial need to bolster our midfield uh, with a big bodied mid. And we had just bought into the club. You know, Leroy Jetta and Alwyn Davey, who were two Indigenous small forwards as well. So we thought that we had that end of the ground covered. Um, and, uh, you know, Cyril went on to be an absolute superstar of the competition. We know that. Uh, and a premiership player. And, you know, he, he's one of the all-time greats of the comp. But, you know, at the time, that's what we decided. So, uh, you know, that's how it went. Well, it's good at least to see Cyril Rioli involved now in the Bombers, with the Bombers in some sense. Uh, he's a, the assistant coach at the Tiwi Bombers, of course, and doing some great work up there. But our next question comes from Martin, a 10-year member from Clyde North. In the 2008 National Draft, Michael Hurley was selected at pick five. What transpired in the lead-up and at the draft table? The media had been speculating on who the Dons would take with their first pick. Yeah, no, it's a good question, and I remember that quite clearly. Heading into that draft, we had Nick Natanui number one clearly and we had Michael Hurley number two clearly. So we thought that Hurls had no chance of getting to our pick. 
So we were debating who we, who would get through to that selection and we thought it would be either Steve Hill or it would be Steel Sidebottom. So they were the two players that we thought that we would be drafting, um, one of those guys. So the debate was mainly around them because we thought Hurls wouldn't get through to us. Yet our list management strategy clearly said to us that we need to bring a tall defender into the club. Um, it was actually uh, you know, a great process. I remember that Merv and I were really keen on uh, on Hill. Uh, Nida was really keen on on Steel Sidebottom. So either way, we thought we were going to get a really good player that, that, that would come in the door. And it was only the night before the draft that when we did our numbers that we'd realise that Hurls was going to get through. So we sort of had a mini celebration between us um, because obviously we'd rated Hurls, you know, at number two in the draft and he was a key position player. Subsequently, he's gone on to be, you know, an All-Australian and a key player and a great player at our football club. So it's worked out extremely well. But had we have picked um, the other two boys, one of those would have been happy also because they've had fabulous careers. Uh, in fact, Steel Sidebottom did his issue with us and, um, you know, cheeky grin and an Essendon supporter growing up. So it would have been great to have had him. But going back to what Sheed's always said, you can't have, you can't have them all. So that was um, the reason uh, that Hurls got to our club that year. That that was the um, the methodology around that selection. And then with um, Davis Arakis that year, he didn't get picked up as a 17-year-old. And I, we, we always um, look back at references and Merv and I, Got a massive reference from a guy called David Dixon, who coached Vic Metro that year, and he absolutely loved David Zaharakis, and um, that always stood out for us. and And it was either him or um, Dane Beams that we were looking at for that selection. So I think you know it's worked out pretty well for us. Both terrific players in the draft, and we went with um, with David Zaharakis. So yeah, end up being a, two Northern Knights boys coming to the club, and uh, you know both boys you know have been terrific servants of our club and hopefully they can win a premiership before they retire and a real friendship too that they've forged which is uh which is great to see this next one's from tracy a a 20-year member from q her question is did the asada saga rob us of a premiership uh geez talk about opening up old wounds look uh the only thing i'll say about that is that when uh you know hurdy and bomber got to the club we worked extremely hard in our list management strategy and everything that we wanted to achieve in terms of putting a team on the park basically came to fruition. If you look at the team around that time of the USADA saga, we had nine players that we'd accumulated that went on to either be all Australian players at the time or become all Australian players after that. You know, Watson ended up Brownlow, all Australian. Michael Hibbard obviously went to Melbourne and became an all Australian. Paddy Ryder, you know, became an All-Australian player. Uh, Hooker Hurley as a key position combination, you know, at the peak of their powers. You know, we got Brendan Goddard as the first ever free agent to the club. It, Joey Danaher as a young, you know, young guy burst onto the scene, All-Australian key forward. Zach Merritt became an All-Australian and obviously our skipper Dyson Hipple. So nine players that were all in that team around 2, 12, 13, 14, 15 were of All-Australian Standard. I think that that probably tells you that there was a window there. Um, I, 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 I firmly believe that. I know Hurdy firmly believes that as well. Um, but, you know, what happened happened and we had to, um, you know, pick the pieces up and put it together. And I think that now we're in a position where, you know, 
you know, blue skies and, you know, I think we're in a good position now also. So where do you think the, the team sits now in the premiership window? And if it's not uh, something that's attainable right now, what do you, what do you think's missing? I think it's a very, very even competition. I think that there's not much between all clubs in the competition. I sincerely mean that in terms of talent. Um, I think that you need a little bit of luck to go your way, but you need continuity. So you need groups playing together for a, a long period of time. You're seeing Richmond at the moment, they've been together for a, a significant period of time and, and they've come together really well and they're a cohesive group. And you've got to have luck with injuries. You've got to get your best players on the park. Um, you know, that's why it's crucial that we get Joey on the park. It's crucial that we get Dyson Heppel back. You know, your, your best players make the difference. Um, there's no mistaking that. And a lot of times the excuse often is that your best players aren't on the park. And that goes for every club, not just us. I think that we're in a position right now that there's a lot of exciting talent and there's a huge upside in a lot of our players. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, we get Devin Smith, Smith back at the moment, the best and fairest winner. You know, there's a number of players that, um, we're coming into form. Our game style looks like it's going to stand up in big moments. Sure, there's some areas of our um, our lists that we'd like to, you know, keep building on. I think that, you know, sure, you know, we'd like to get another midfielder in the door. There's no doubt that we would like to do that. Um, you know, we'd, we'd certainly like to fit Joey up forward. And if not Joey, then someone else to put their hands up because they're actually uh, our entries inside 35 at the moment are really, really good. So we could just find ourselves a key forward up there that can, you know, take control of a game and, you know, it'll make an enormous difference. And then you'll see, you know, Tipper and Fantasia, Dev Smith, these guys, you know, at ground level being, you know, very, very uh, important, influential players for us. So I think that there is a window going forward. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, when Monty's to do anything special this year, but I think that um, if we can keep it together, keep adding to our list, have some luck with injuries, I think there's no reason why we... We can't be an exciting team um, and, uh, you know, play finals. This next one is from Russell, a 22-year member from Brentwood. How are the future academy and father-son players developing for the next three seasons? Which ones are exciting you the most? Um, yeah, like, obviously, um, and, a, and a big shout-out to Heath Hocking, who, as our uh, James Hood Academy coach, has done an amazing job um, working extremely hard with all the boys. We've, we've built a, a really good academy at the club and, Obviously, uh, there's obviously going to be question marks going forward with uh, list, uh, with you know re- retention of uh, certain services such as you know developing younger players. So hopefully we can keep that one going because it's really important. But there's no father sons on the horizon this year, um, to be perfectly honest. But there's a number of kids, and I won't mention all of them. But there's some boys that we're you know excited about to see what they can can deliver. Obviously, um, Alwyn Davy. He's got uh, the twins, Alwyn Jr. and uh, and Jaden, terrific young kids, uh, already taller than their dad, uh, which is uh, very interesting. <laughs> um, but like, they've relocated from uh, NT down to Xavier College, um, and they're, they're going really well. Jaden had a knee reconstruction last year, late last year, and he's overcoming that. They're 15 years of age, heading into their six, 16th year, so hopefully... You know, over the next couple of years, we'll, we'll see two exciting players come through there. Tex Wanganeen's another boy, Gavin's boy, who uh, has relocated from South Australia to go to Xavier College as well this year. So, you know, it gives us an opportunity to keep a, a close eye on Tex, and he's at Oakley Chargers. Um, Joe, uh, Joe Massey's got a young boy called Josh Massey who's uh, playing at Calder Cannons, and he is a Big raw bone kid. You talk about big bodied mids. He he could he could potentially be that player down the track. 
Uh, he's bigger than his dad. He's about six foot three, probably six foot four. Um, and it's just been really fascinating to see how this young bloke has grown uh, in front of our very eyes. So uh, yeah, he's he's got some exciting, exciting attributes actually, Josh. And there's a lot of other boys. We've got a couple of boys in our in our NGA this year, uh, Cody Brown and Josh here that we that we think are going to be draftable this year. So they're boys that we've put a bit of work in as well. So there's just some of the names. There's a whole hope, host of other boys that um, that are in our James Hurd Academy and NGA programs, but they're probably the boys that you'll probably hear about in the next couple of years. An exciting future indeed. There's been a lot of talk in the media, I guess, about uh, some potential changes to the draft uh, for this year and beyond. But this next question comes from Rob, a 15-year member. What are your thoughts on lifting the draft age? Um, I don't mind if it's in the next year or two. There'll be a lot of 18-year-old boys this year that don't get drafted purely because we haven't seen them play. So you want to give them the opportunity to showcase their talent next year as 19-year-olds. But I do like the 18-year-old um, age. I think it, it just suits our game with VCE. Um, you know, it stood the test of time, in my opinion, over a long, long period of time. So I, I personally would leave it at 18. Um, but I can see a lot of the, the arguments for, for lifting the age group. What you've got to remember is that if a boy's 18 years of age and he doesn't feel he's ready to be drafted, he doesn't have to nominate. Uh, and he can nominate as a 19-year-old. As a Before we lift the draft age, I personally would like to see what the the uh, the second tier looks like and how that's formulated going forward. So for me, I would leave it as it is. And one to finish on from Roger, two-year member from Thurguna. His question is, who has been the greatest influence on your career as Essendon's top recruiter? Uh, no doubt, two people stand out for me, two people that I am um, indebted to, and that's obviously Sheeds, um, the great Kevin Sheedy. I, you know, having worked so closely with him over many, many years, you know, I just studied him. I was just fascinated with his football brain. Uh, he was just so giving to me and still is. You know, I consider him not only a mentor but a, a great friend and he's the godfather of the Essen Footy Club as far as I'm concerned. He's just he he's just he was so ahead of the game um, in all facets of it, whether it was the game, whether it was tactics, whether it was football psychology, you know, the patience of developing people, players within football clubs. Uh, he, just a fascinating person. You could do a, a thesis on him. And, um, you know, he, his ability to coach on match day was absolutely outstanding. So he was one that um, that I'm indebted to and learned so much of. And the other bloke who equally important in my career has been Merv Kane, who is a fabulous person, someone I've known for many years now, someone who I assisted when he was a reserve coach at Essendon. So he was coaching the reserves and I was his assistant and I learned so much under him and we formulated a relationship that obviously I got him back to the club and he was our recruiting manager up until last year. So, you know, just a fabulous person, someone who's got fantastic principles. Uh, he's an honest person, hard work ethic. And if you want to build culture within a football department, he's the sort of person that you want to learn off because you know, he, he has all those traits that you want in a great person. Um, you know, he's a hard worker, great work ethic. So he'd be one. The other person that I learnt a lot off and needs to be recognised is Noel Judkins. So, you know, when I was in my younger days at Essen, I would always pop in and, you know, pick Juddo's brain. As far as I'm concerned, I think Juddo, for me, is the greatest recruiter AFL's ever had, VFL slash AFL has ever had. You know, in days when there weren't, there wasn't the technology that there is these days. He His ability to pick players... Uh, for our club and win premierships was absolutely amazing. And 
Um, he is still, to this day, an important member of our recruiting team. Uh, he still works with us and you know, he's an important mentor to our, our staff. So, uh, yeah, Sheeds, Merv and, and Juddo would be three that I would, that I would mention. Well, we've had some fantastic questions from members, but before we go, it'd be remiss of us not to touch on what their support means to you personally, Adrian. You've been at the club for several decades. How significant is the support of the members, especially during a time like this? Um, unbelievable. As I said last week, we've got the best fans in the competition, and I think our fans are the envy of every every club after what we've been through, the way we stick together, and that's why that next premiership is going to be so uh, fulfilling for everybody. You know, I remember last year when we finished the trade period and the next day at the club or that afternoon, the, the, you know, the switchboard was jammed through that many Essendon supporters just so wrapped that Joe would stay at the club. So, you know, and that's why we do it. We do it for our people. And, um, you know, I thank them for their support. And hopefully uh, we can get our, our fans, the red and black colours at the MCG in September or October this year. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Absolutely. Well, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure, Adrian, to, to chat to you during this series. We're going to take a bit of a break as the season resumes now, but hopefully we can catch up a little bit closer to the trade and draft and get some guests on the show and share some more stories. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, a big thanks to, uh, to you, Jules. You've done a fantastic job. And a shout out to Grayson, who also does a, a lot of work in the, in the background for us. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see each other soon. And before we go, just a, a final thank you to Orchard HRA, the sponsor of this podcast, for making it possible. We wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys. So a big thanks.